Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm your host, Davey Blackburn, and joining me, Mel McIsaac. Mel, it is great to see you. It is great to see you too. I'm glad to be here today. You know what we're talking about today? We are talking about minimalism. Mm. Minimalism. Now, before those of you guys who love clutter and love to keep everything and you're a pack rat, before you turn this off, I'm telling you, this interview that we have today is unbelievable. Uh, Emily Freeman is amazing. I mean, like, amazing. I was captivated by sitting and talking to her. I was like, this girl is just unbelievably sharp. She has incredible wit. She's so creative. And she really uh, inspired me a lot. And, mm-hmm. um, but I, I have been wrestling with this concept of minimalism. And she talks about this idea of a soul minimalist. But mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm seeing all this stuff about minimalism. I'm seeing like, you know, the tiny Davey, home and the. Have and I'm you like, watched Marie Kondo on Netflix yet? And here's the thing, Mel. Christy just introduced me to Marie Kondo. Really? Yes. And what do you think? Well, I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a hoarder? That's what we need no, to know. I'm absolutely not a hoarder. In fact, I love the idea of just getting rid of things. Like, it's like, just throw it out. We don't use it. And so, actually, I think. The concept of Marie Kondo that she brings is amazing. I love it. But the methods, I just love the whole like sparking joy thing. And I'm like seeing myself like, does this, does this piece of clothing, does it spark joy in my heart? You know, <laughs> I'm just having, I'm like, I can't quite get to that point. But I love the concept of what she's talking about. You apparently watch yes. it. Yeah, so Charlie, I watched like two episodes and I totally drank the Kool-Aid and I was like, everything's gotta go. (laughs) And so Charlie's, he is, he would love to be a minimalist. He would love to live in a tiny home. And so he's always trying to get me to get rid of things. And if you came into our home, I mean, you've been there. We don't have, it's not like we're hoarders, you know? And so I went through every cupboard in the kitchen and I have these um, casserole dishes and we have four Okay, four. And he's like, I bet you and all of his snarkiness have not used all four in one year ever. And I was like, all right, fine. We'll get rid of two. (laughs) And then I went into my closet and I did everything she did. I put all my clothes on the bed and I was ashamed about how much I've had. But to be fair, I have had the last five years, I've had three kids. And so I have like regular clothes, like the postpartum clothes, maternity clothes. And so Charlie's always like, you have way too many clothes. And I'm like, yeah, but my body has changed way more than yours has, buddy. (laughs) You didn't use that as like an underhanded jab, did you? It's like, my body's changed way more than you, maybe, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, I don't know, buddy. (laughs) Buddy. (laughs) Um, But I think I probably got close, got rid of close to about 10 garbage bags of just stuff from our bedroom. And then I went to the playroom and I was like, everybody gets three toys. I'm just kidding. Oh no, we've been (laughs) on that. Oh, three. I mean, yeah, we do five. Like we just went on that one. I was like, you get five toys. Now five, meaning five sets of toys. So like Weston, like categories, like you can keep your cars and your Legos, but that counts as two, you know, it's like, so it's all these like 
this is okay. It's all these like toys that have so many parts and pieces that drive me crazy. And what's amazing to me is advertisers advertise that like it's a good thing. This this is not a selling point, no, people. No, they put you it on the You are getting box. your marketing all wrong. Totally <laughs> wrong. You're like, I know you're trying to market to the kid, but I'm the one that buys it. And, exactly. And you really need to realize that, you know, 568 pieces inside does not appeal to me at all, you know? Ugh. I... I've actually got my kids on board with throwing all the little pieces apart because I have a 10-month-old baby boy. And I'm like, you know, your brother, he'll probably choke on that. Like, let's just throw <laughs> all of this away. <laughs> oh, man. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, yeah, this whole minimalist thing, I mean, Christy's got us inspired with it as well. And we're kind of decluttering and doing the whole Marie Kondo thing as best as we possibly can. And it's fun. And I'm wrestling with it because I'm like, they just some like clothes that I've had for a, a while. I mean, you're talking about like when I was in college, I just wore Goodwill t-shirts and jeans, but man, those Goodwill t-shirts, they're like they're, sentimental. They're super soft, aren't they? They're so soft. Yeah. I don't know how many people wore them before me, but they're so soft. Yeah. They're you can't, amazing. you can't go there. You can't think about that. No, I try not to, but, um, but they've got so much sentimental value too, you know? So mm. I suppose that well, would qualify as sparking joy. Yeah, sometimes what I do, like if a clothing item does, I'll take a picture of it for a scrapbook that I'll never make, and then I'll throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's amazing. Well, yeah, and not even just I feel like getting rid of things, but how Marie Kondo has taught me to organize things. It was a great excuse to go to IKEA and like redo our pantry and redo go. our drawers. And it's been about two months, and everything still looks the same. So <laughs> I think that she, her methods work. Uh, Okay, one question before we dive into this this interview. What is your favorite piece of clothing? Oh, you are talking about what's my power outfit? Uh-oh, here it is. Every girl, every girl. I'm sure Christy has a power outfit. Oh, yeah. It's the outfit that you put on and you feel like a million bucks. <laughs> All right, what is it? What I mean, do you uh, care to describe? Yeah, well, you know, for me, I love black yeah. And so I love, um, I have just this long fitted black tee with mm-hmm. some skinny jeans and these, um, they are Versa- Versace knockoff shoes. I got them at Target, but they look like the Versace brand. They're nice. some black mules and um, a skinny leopard belt. And when I'm wearing that, I mean, just get out of my way. Yeah. There's no stopping me. Don't touch that Marie Kondo. That's Mm -hmm. not, that's staying in the closet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, Emily talks about this idea of soul minimalism and it's really great because, you know, someone like me who is a, you know, I love to achieve and accomplish. I love to do all things and, you know, it, it, I need to be reminded that, that life is more about space and that God speaks in the space. And that, mm. you know, even just today, my calendar was filled to the max. It was like one meeting after the other, after the other, after the other. And I wound up going, I hadn't, there was no margin. There was no margin in here. See, for the stay-at-home mar- mom, the version of that is my schedule was so busy. It was one diaper after another yeah. and kids want three meals a day. And where's the space in that? <laughs> yep. It's so true. And it's really difficult on all fronts to figure out how to create that space, but it's so necessary. I mean, again, God speaks in the space. 
It's God vital. moves in the margin. It's like, those are the moments that, I mean, you, you think about these concepts, like what makes music beautiful? It's not the notes. It's the space in between the, the notes. It's the pauses. It's the, and, and so Emily really dives into this concept and, and she talks about this idea of the next right thing that is kind of decluttering the decision-making process for us. And I think this is super important. And I want to say this before we jump into the interview, because this is probably more important when you're walking through some kind of a tragedy trial or transition, like, mm. like space, creating that space is imperative in normal life. It is absolutely essential when you're walking through some kind of pressure or pain because mm. you're more likely to make really bad decisions immediately after something happening that's detrimental in your life. And um, you're not thinking clearly. It's, it's, a, it's a tough, tough season. And so the stuff that she talks about here is so good and so applicable to anybody who's walking through some kind of trial, tragedy, or transition. Um, mm. It's awesome. Well, awesome. well, I cannot wait to hear. Um, and if you guys, if you wouldn't mind, we would love to hear from you. If you have a story about how the Lord has impacted you, um, please write us in at hello at nothingiswasted.com. Um, jump on over to iTunes, uh, rate us, review us, um, let us know how this podcast has um, just blessed you guys. We are so encouraged. And um, and we also, we pray for you guys. So we want to mm-hmm. hear um, and then also, if you guys have a chance, come visit us on um, Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You guys can get behind the scenes of what we're up to, different quotes, book giveaways. Um, tell your family and friends we're having a good time over there. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's uh, jump into my interview with Emily Freeman. Emily, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. All right. So tell us a little bit as we jump out of the gate. Tell us about who you are, your family, where you're from, what you do uh, for a living, for hobbies, all kinds of it. Just give us a little bit of an insight into Emily Freeman's life. You want to know everything. I want to okay. know it all. <laughs> good. Very good. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm from North Carolina. Well, that's where I live now with my family. My husband, John, and I have been married for um, almost 18 years. Yes. We have three kids. Two we had at the same time. So we have twin girls wow. who are, right? I know. That was a surprise. They don't run in the family as far as we know, but... <laughs> They I would imagine now. twins are probably always a surprise. Like, I'm not sure anybody's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I was figuring, you know. <laughs> right. I was counting on two at once. Um, oh. But I do recommend if you're going to have twins to have them first. That was a, wow. a gift because we didn't know what we were, That's you know. true. You know what? When you say that, that is true. At first, I'm like, first? Like, wow, Listen. twins first? That's crazy. Right. And Just get it out of the way. And then the thir- we, have a, we have a third. Okay. Um, just one child. So our twins were born in January, which is like they were two months early and there were two of them and it was like RSV season and terrifying. And then our third one, they were girls. Our third one's a boy. He came in June. He was super healthy. It was like a totally different experience, wow. you wow. know, um, which we were grateful for. But everyone's right. healthy now. Um, our son is, let's see, the twins were two and a half when he was born. So wow. our son is 12, almost 13. So they're growing up right there as a little pack, you know, together. Man, did you guys like ever leave the house during that stretch, during that season? I don't, rem- <laughs> I don't remember. I'm sure we must have, right? But I just, wow. a lot of it's blocked out. People will ask me like when they, you know, when the twins were maybe four or five, moms who had newborns would be like, so can you help me? And I'm like, 
No, because I don't remember anything. I just don't. It's gone. Well, that's so, probably for the best. That's probably for the best. PTSD, not if not. Yeah. Coping mechanism, right? That's um, right. That's so right. that so that's what we it's where we live. And um I live on a cul-de-sac with my several other family members. My husband John, um, his mom lives on our cul-de-sac. Okay. As well his um brother and then his his their family. So his my sis, brother and sister in law and their two girls. So it feels normal now, but some people think that's weird. So wow. it's kind of a fun fact that's to like live the family on the takeover. That's amazing. The, yeah. <laughs> that's all, the Freeman family. There it is. Freeman, the Freeman family cold to <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. It is. it is. But I've somehow convinced people that, you know, I feel like my job is to just give people new metaphors to live by. Hmm. And so I have somehow, you know, convinced people that that is okay for yeah. me to do that as my actual grown-up <laughs> job. And so I like to, I really love hanging out at the intersection of faith and creativity. Mm. Um, I think a lot of really beautiful things can happen when we create space for our souls to breathe. Mm. Um, I think sometimes we worry about doing the right thing or making decisions or whatever the thing is in our life. And um, But the truth is we kind of have in us, you know, what to do or what we want or what the next right thing yeah. might be, but um, but we just don't have the space to listen to that. So that's kind of I I love that that's my job. Sometimes I feel like oh man, I need I need help with this thing I'm supposed <laughs> to be good at, <laughs> you know. Um, oh. But that's all part of it. So yeah, that's awesome. So this this is kind of um the message that you're carrying right now is this idea of space and um, having some room to breathe in life, and it's what makes you you know happy, healthy, whole. Um, and you've, you've written this book on, on this topic or essentially similar to, you know, something around this topic, the, the next right thing. What was the inspiration behind this? I mean, what caused you to want to write this and, um, and, and caused you to want to talk a little bit more about this idea of like, hey, let's create some, some breathing room and some margin in life here. You know, when I look back at writing, so I've been writing on the internet, um, the <laughs> interwebs for over 12 years now. Wow. And. I know, right? It's like ancient. When I look back at writing years ago, I'll see that phrase that I had, that it's always been meaningful for me. In fact, when I was in college, um, I went to, uh, I was a commuter student for a while and the parking was hellacious. It was Mm. awful. So if you have to drive to campus, you have to get there so early. And I would get there early, but then it's like you sit around, we didn't have iPhone. Like you just, there's nothing to do in the car, like read or study. But I would listen to the radio, and there was a radio show by Elizabeth Elliot called mm. Gateway to Joy, and she did this 15-minute show. It was like pre-podcast. Yep. <laughs> um, and she would do this 15-minute show weekly, or maybe it was daily, actually, and she would always um, quote this poem. It was like an anonymous poem, um, and the poem was all about do do the next thing, and she would repeat that phrase. It was huh. like the last line of every stanza of the poem, just do the next thing. And as a college student, that was really meaningful for me because I thought, you know, I was in that stage of life where a lot of people probably are, where you're trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. What, you know, these choices feel so big. And so that was a really meaningful poem. Years later, fast forward, as I started to have my own, you know, life decisions I was making in times of transition, regular life decisions and things making, um, I started paying attention to how the decision making process was an opportunity for change and transformation and growth and character Mm. formation and all that kind of stuff. Um, But so I started thinking like, maybe that, maybe that's my next book. Like maybe I'm going to, you know, I've been saying this phrase for years. That poem was so meaningful to me years ago. And I started taking notes and thinking this is my next book. 
it was not happening as a book at all. Um, and that's why it ended up becoming a podcast because it made more sense to be for me at that time to kind of talk through it and for it to be podcast material. But let me tell you what, I got curious about that poem that mm. Elizabeth Elliot quoted way back when I was in school. And so I started, you know, now we have Google. Right. So I started searching and everybody who quotes that poem, no, everybody says either they quote it to her or they quote anonymous. But as it turns out, there actually is an author. Her name is Mrs. George A. Paul. And she wrote mm. that poem way back in like the 1800s. Um, and in fact, the the actual poem is, um, it's called, it wasn't do the next thing. It was do ye next thing spelled in like old English. <laughs> it's really kind of awesome. crazy. Um, but it's funny because this is fun fact. This is bonus material, but the same publisher that published that poem that this book that this the book that the poem is in is the publisher i'm now publishing with oh, this book wow. the next right thing and wow. that nuts that's 100 like full years ago right there full circle that's right that's amazing um so just that phrase you know i certainly this is the all that to say i didn't come up with the concept yeah. of just doing the next right thing that has been around for literally hundreds of years um but also i've heard it from uh martin luther king junior said mm. a similar phrase mother teresa had something that she said that was around, along those lines and lamont lots of really wise people as mm. well alcoholics anonymous that's one of their tenets is you know just do the next thing, wow. you know, tr try not to look at the big picture uh, too much. Otherwise yeah. you might give up, you know, yeah. before, before you, before it's time. So. Yeah. Can you, can you break that concept down a little bit more? The, the do the next thing. Like if I'm sitting across the table from you and you're going, Hey, Navy, just do the next thing. And I'm like, what do you, wait, what do you mean? That sounds really awesome. But what exactly do you mean? How would you how would you explain I, that yeah, to me? Yeah, great question. I don't think it would be meaningful to someone unless they were in a position of um, overwhelm, foggy mm. transition, uh, difficulty, grief, uh, questioning. Um, that's when that phrase becomes a relief. Yeah. Because there's one aspect of it that is like, well, Emily, I don't know what my next what my next thing is. That's that's the actual issue. Yeah. I don't know what to do next, and that is often the case. But I think. That's when we're being a little too heady about it. Yeah. I think that the actual gift in that phrase is, what is your literal next thing? Because sometimes when you're in the midst of grief or you're in the midst of questioning any of those places, um, or even just indecision of everyday life, it helps to ask yourself the question, no, no, what is just your next right thing? Mm -hmm. And that might mean go reheat your coffee, okay? Hmm. And then once you do that, now ask yourself the question, okay, now what's my next right thing? You can ask that question a thousand times a day. And quite honestly, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I ask myself that question all the time. And it and then you get to the end of the day and you realize, oh, I only had to carry one moment at a time rather than the entire day, the entire wow. week, the entire year at one time, which is what causes so much grief and yeah. heartache in us sometimes, I think. Yeah. That's what causes us to get overwhelmed. Yes. Is when we begin to begin to think about like, okay, I've got this list of things that I need to do. And you start creating all these lists and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm getting a little bit, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. And I don't know what, you know, and that it gets this, it's this overwhelming feeling. The the thing that when you were saying that, Emily, the, the verse that my mind went to was Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And the thing about a lamp to your feet is that you hold a lamp out. It's not a flashlight. You know, you're not like shining this beam out in front of you 
that's illuminating the very end of the journey. It's literally a lamp that you're holding up and you can only see one, maybe two steps ahead of you. But isn't that kind of the way that God takes us on this journey of life? He's like, hey, I'm, Absolutely. I'm just going to show you the next, the next thing, the, the next thing. I love that concept. And I feel like that just you sharing that is going to revolutionize my world. <laughs> I'm like, what do I need to do when I get off of this interview right now? I'm right? going to get a cup of coffee. Okay. Just get your coffee. And it frees you up just in those three minutes to have that be your own, your one thing. Just wow. your one thing. And you think about the way Jesus related with people. Mm-hmm. He was often reminding people of the one, only one thing is needed. Mm-hmm. And the way he moved about in the world was not in a rushing to the next thing. It was sort of like, I'm. this is my thing right now in front of me. Yeah. That's what is my one thing. I don't think he woke up with an agenda for the week. I think he woke up as he was where he was in that moment. Right. So, all right. So if I'm like skeptical about this thing and I'm like, okay, hold on. I love my lists, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. I love my lists. So like, are you telling me that I need to just throw out this, this idea of a to-do list or do I need to like, what do I, how do I play this out practically? Because it sounds amazing. It sounds very ideal, Emily, but how do I, is this really doable? You know? Well, I would, I would say if your to-do list is working, keep doing it. Okay. But usually uh, we come to a point where they don't work anymore. Mm. And that's when this concept is life-giving. I have, I make, listen, I make a list every single day, but I get in trouble when I um, demand that my list, when I, when I base my success or failure on whether or not that list got checked off. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when I'm trying to do a thing, I focus on one thing, when I start to glance over at the list and see all the things that are yet undone, mm. um, that's when lists are not helpful. But I think lists are really helpful when they remind us what's important, mm. when they remind us what's life-giving and keep our priorities straight. Um, but but we are the boss of the list, not the other way around. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Are, are you like me where you do a bunch of stuff and then like you just make the list afterwards and check it all off just because you're 100%. like, I, I got yes. it done. I need a list. I need to like check it off. That makes me feel yep. accomplished. <laughs> I do that. Well, I totally do that. I mean, part of this is like personality styles, right? There's different personalities yeah. that approach decision-making in different ways. Like how would you say, you know, those things play into like how how we approach the day-to-day decisions of life? How, how does a different personality, your personality, my personality, everybody else's that's listening to this podcast, what does that, how does that play into this whole thing? It plays in so much. Um, if you think about the way we all move through the world, I mean, we mostly... We all move through the world super differently, but let's just say there's three ways. Many lead with our head, some lead with our heart, and others maybe with our intuition or our gut. And it's just, we cannot, mm. we can't not be that way. Mm-hmm. It's a gift. It's a beautiful way of moving through the world. But when we get stuck and when we are in a place of indecision or fog or transition, sometimes it helps to be able to lean on the other ways because we all have access, even mm-hmm. though I lead with my heart, that's sort of my tendency. I have access to my head and to my gut. It's not that I don't have a head or yeah. I don't have intuition, um, but I think our most soulful decisions come when we're able to integrate all three of those aspects of our personality, of mm. our bent or our leaning. Um, but it is, I think it's still good to honor our personality because, you know, the way that I will make a decision, um, a lot of times, like when I think about decisions I've regretted, let's just say, like when I look back and I think, 
okay, I regret that choice. For me, my reason for regret might be really different from yours. For example, mine would be if I make a decision um, based on something outside of myself, like an expectation Mm -hmm. or uh, something that someone else thought I ought to do. um, And if my decision does not reflect my deep values or my own personality, or I feel like it's not a good... It's all about meaning for me. And mm. so if I if I can't see the why or the meaning right. behind a thing, then it's difficult. Then I would regret doing it if it didn't seem to really fit with my own identity and personality. Mm. Whereas someone else, like someone who maybe is more analytical than I am in that way, might say, well, I looked at the facts. And the facts told yeah. me that this was a great choice. So I went with it and I feel good about it. But then, or if they, a reason they might regret that decision, though, is the opposite, is that they looked at the facts and they acted counter to what the facts said, um, or they didn't take enough time to research the thing and Mm. gather all the facts. And then later they learned something that informed them differently. So you see how the way we see the world, the filter through which we see the world or our natural bent personality wise can really determine what we regret, what we long for, what we prioritize. It really is so enmeshed in that. Yeah. You just referenced these three things, the, you know, the heart, the gut, the head, I'm guessing you're an Enneagram follower. I am, yeah. Okay, so, you know, it talks about those triads. And, you know, I happen to sit in the heart triad as a, I'm a three-wing four. I am i don't want to type you. Go ahead. What are you? Do, what, do you know what you are? I do. You do kind of want to type I do me. want to because I'm a three. I know. <laughs> I was about to say it. And I'm like, wait, I don't want to do that because that's like the, that's like the, the rule of Enneagram. You're not supposed to type right. anybody, right? I'm going you're to guess you're a four. Yes. Okay. That's what I kind of figured that um, because of the meaning, what you're talking about with yeah. like really looking for meaning. So here's my dilemma, okay? Okay. And, and, and maybe you can help me because we have people who are all over that spectrum. Like you said, different personalities, they approach decisions in a different way. Um, I am not, sometimes I feel like my heart leads me in the right way. And sometimes I feel like my heart doesn't, right? I mean, like, yeah. I, and I've got, man, as a, as a pastor and someone who helps people with their spiritual walk, I've got verses to back up both. You know, I know. Like, yeah, delight, I do your, know. delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. You know, He's allowed my heart to form and sync with His heart because I'm delighting myself in Him, and He's shaping my heart and He's changing my heart into His desires for my life. Right? That's a follow your heart kind of thing. Uh, the heart is wicked and deceitful among all things. Who can know it? Right? It's like, don't you dare. You know. So how do my dilemma is? So how do I merge all of these things? You know, if, if I'm making decisions, heart, head, gut, how do I begin to make um, smarter, wiser decisions based around these, like the triad of these and, and tap into some of these other personalities rather than, you know, just kind of where I come out of. Well, since we're speaking Enneagram, I think uh, one thing to remember is that our Enneagram number um, in some ways tells us who we are not. And it also just gives us a starting point. Mm. So the goal is never to become more like a four. The goal is just to know, okay, I'm a, I'm a four and this is these are my tendencies. These are my giftedness. This is my weakness. To know the um, possibilities that that can bring. But it's never meant to make me more, uh, more heart-centered than I... It's to make me... It's to lead me into Christ. It's yeah. to lead me in the kingdom. And so... When we think about these decisions, and I talk about soulful decision-making, um, but really what that is beneath that is that there is actually a deeper part of us than our than our intuition and our heart uh, and our uh, head, and that is that there is a spiritual level of us that is mm. even deeper 
it goes even deeper than my the way my heart would lead. And that's where my life is united with Christ's mm. life and his head and his heart and his intuition. And so that is our saving, literal saving grace wow. is because it's not dependent upon me honing in my my heart skills or my head knowledge or anything like that. It's all in in the redemptive process of the kingdom of God, of how he is not making new things. Right. He's making all things new, That's including good. me on the soul level and the spiritual soul, invisible level. Wow. So you, you talked about these, these soul being a soul decision maker. You also talk a lot about being a soul minimalist. Yeah. Um, what, what do you mean by that? What is that? Is that weird? That's kind of no, weird. No, it's not weird at all. I think it sounds very refreshing, <laughs> to be honest with you. As <laughs> good, a three, someone who's like, a high achievement, goal-oriented, like, let's make lists of all the things that we can do. Let's do all the things, you know? <laughs> right. What is, yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, that feels so good. It feels like I can breathe, this soul minimalist. And just a little backstory, you you know, you didn't, you didn't know this, but w- um, Christy and I are coming off of a three-week retreat where there was a lot of this kind of discussion. It was like a ministry oh. renewal retreat where it was like, create space and and breathe. And uh, the metaphor that they used was like the logs of a fire. You know, when you stack them up all where there's no space between them, it, 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 it quenches the fire. It starves That's it. Right. it. Like it just becomes smoke. There's, it can't fuel it. But, it. but the key to a fire is the space in between the logs that allow the oxygen to come through it and breathe. And that's what our souls and our lives should be like. And so I'm like all in this, yes, minimalism. This sounds so refreshing. What, is that, what does that mean? What are you talking about when you say a soul minimalist? Well, Joshua Becker is a guy who wrote several books about minimalism. He has a he has a blog called Becoming Minimalist. Mm. And something he says about minim, about actual minimalism like in your house yeah. that we know and you know, he says that minimalism is not that you should own nothing, but the nothing should own you. Mm. And so when we apply that to wow. the level of our soul, um, I think it's really powerful to consider what does it look like for me to um declutter on the level of my soul, the invisible space beneath the surface, so that there's nothing happening beneath the surface that is owning me Mm. in an unhealthy way. And the practical way that looks for me personally, and I know in talking with others, um, is to engage in some silence and solitude Mm. and stillness. And that that is the act of not doing, but of being undone. I think so much about what we've grown up in our Christian life, some of us in the evangelical tradition of of my own tradition, is a lot of times it's about what we can do um, for God. And in the process, we often miss what it looks like to live life with God. Mm. And living life with God now for me looks a lot, looks like a lot of unlearning and a lot of undoing. Yeah. And that happens in the silence and solitude. And it doesn't always look still and it might look very um, busy on the outside. I think John Ortberg talks about the difference between busy and hurry, that busy is an outward condition of the schedule and the body, but hurry is an inward condition of the soul. So what might it look like if we begin to release that hurry place? And we can still be very busy on the outside, but to sit down on the inside so that we can allow some of that stuff we no longer need, the minimalism, Mm -hmm. allow allow ourselves to let it go. Mm, That's so good. And I I think when we talk about this, like um, 
especially like a, a really fast paced society that we live in and the pressure that we feel of like running Mach 6 with our hair on fire and doing things <laughs> and, you know, accomplishing. And I mean, we're so inundated by it. This is something that our culture is pressing into who we are as people is like, yeah. you've got to schedule everything back to back to back, no margin in between. And I think that can get us into a lot of painful situations. We don't have the space to really think about the decisions that we're making. We just make the decision. We can wind up in a really painful situation. And so I think that not only is this topic of conversation that you're talking about a very good preventive measure from experiencing some unnecessary pain, but also I also believe it is the key to probably the linchpin. I would I would dare to say the linchpin behind when you find yourself in pain, when you find yourself in a trial, when you find yourself in some kind of a, a, we talk about a lot on the podcast, the valley of the shadow of death, this like Mm. tragedy kind of hits your life or something hits your life that you were not expecting. And now, you know, you're trying to, to feel your way through it and figure out how do I, how do I get out of the valley? Well, I, I, the only way I can get out of the valley is to go through the valley. So how do I make decisions that are going to walk me through the valley with Jesus in a really wise way? I think the linchpin is this topic that you're talking about. I honestly mm-hmm. do, especially coming back from this retreat right now. I'm like, this is it right here. It's it's allowing yeah. your life to breathe and have enough space to listen to the voice of God, yeah, to hear his right. direction. You know, Isaiah 30 says, he will be our teacher, our guide, whispering in our ear when we veer off to the right and to the left. He'll point us in the direction that we need to go, but we don't make space to do that. You That's know? right. Um, the... You're, you're, we're, we're talking about these decisions and, and, and hard decisions that we make. You write about this, this idea of having one question that you should ask yourself as you're making a decision. What is, what is that? What does that mean? One question before you make every decision, what's that one question? Oh, let me see if I get this right. <laughs> <laughs> I put you on the spot. Here we go. I know. Well, I, ha- I can think of two, actually. Well, let's, I hear, think let's hear both of them. <laughs> I have two. But one is, well, one, the first is... Um, before every decision, I think it's vital that we ask ourselves, am I moving from a place of love or from a place of fear? Oh, wow. And sometimes that's the only question you have to ask yourself. Wow. Because you can, and some people are like, well, I don't know. Yeah, you know, mm. you know. You just have to get still long enough to, to, to consider when you hold this decision in front of you and you name it in English words. I think sometimes we think we have a decision to make, but really we're just worried about a bunch of stuff. Wow. So take the worry and somehow interpret it into what is the decision? What is the action that you're making a decision about? And if you don't have one, then you have a different problem. Wow. It's not a decision-making problem. It's an anxiety issue. It's a worry issue. It's a it's something else. But, but if you can find the decision, so that's the first thing, name in English words, what is my decision I'm trying to make? Hold it. And by the way, pro tip, just do one decision at a time. <laughs> I think we try to like be like, well, I've got here that here's my list of decisions. Just start one at a work through them one at a time. And when you hold it out in front of you, um, consider, am I moving from a place of love mm. or from a place of fear? Mm. And that that can often be the only decision you need to make. Wow. The only question you need to ask. But there's a second question that comes to mind, and that one is a little more, that that last one is more, you have a decision in front of you and you, you're you trying to consider and you're looking at it through a filter. Mm. But the second one is one that's a little, uh, a little more step back and think kind of question. And that is, um, I think the best time to make a decision is before you have a decision that comes across your, 
your plate, right. you know? <laughs> decide before because you need to decide. Yeah. Decide before you need to decide. It's like, don't buy the Oreos and then you don't have there to, you, you know, pass them in the kitchen. <laughs> you don't have to keep making. Um, and so obviously uh-huh. we can't, we can't do that. We can't see the future. But I do think that there is one practice that I like to engage in, which is a regular practice of reflection. Mm. And so um, every, in fact, this is my week for the, for the last three months. I do uh, February, May, August, I think it is the end of August um, and the end of November of of the set of the seasons, I just sort of do oh, it like the Lord okay. made the seasons. So he made me to live in them and I'm going to think reflectively seasonally. And so I look back at the last 90 days and I make two lists. So you like lists. So yep, I'm going to tell you, there you go. I make two lists and one list is in the last 90 days as it relates to a certain area of my life. I'll do it set like sometimes I'll do like work, family, travel, whatever mm-hmm. the different areas of your own life are and ask yourself two questions and make a list. What was life draining and mm-hmm. what was life giving? Wow. And consider your list. And now this does not mean that you were going to eliminate every life draining thing from <laughs> your list. Although it would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be so nice. But I guarantee you, there are things on your life draining list that if you see them showing up over and over again every 90 days on your life draining, it's going to impact your future decisions mm. that you make before you have to make them because you're going to begin to learn and know yourself. It's a it's a practice of self-awareness yeah. and God-awareness. Um, and sometimes the thing, there are some things that end up on both of my lists. Like sometimes it's life-draining for me to host people in my home, but it's also life-giving mm. once, you know, once I experience that. So recognizing like this is draining, but it's worth it because of what I get as a result. Wow. It's just an it's just a practice of of awareness and um and I've really enjoyed that reflection wow, practice. I love that. So what it, what over the last ninety days has been life training, yeah, and what has been life giving? Yes. that's an amazing con- because not only does it allow you to it's a reflective time. It's not only allowing you to look back over the last ninety days, but it's a, allowing you to evaluate and as you look forward, it's that's like right. okay, so the next ninety days, what. What, what do I need to change? What needs to be different sure. to be mm-hmm. able to create space in such a way that I can really move forward in this next season and thrive? And, um, and, and I think it's, it's so important. You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about self-care and I've always had this like dilemma of, you know, and probably a lot of it's hardwired into me from the, just the evangelical church and being a pastor and serving and pouring your life out to people. And, but I think that, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's important to understand that self-care is not selfish um, as long as Jesus is at the center of that. And as long as the motivation behind that self-care is like, how do I continue to give myself to people? How do I continue to overflow and not operate on empty? Um, how do I have the, the space and the margin to be able to live in this like really good fluid flow out of this, out of what God is doing in my life to pour into other people and make a difference in this world. And I think those are, that is a different, that's a a different um, approach to life than, okay, I'm just going to like keep going and trying to make this huge and trying to make impact. And I'm just going to exhaust myself because it's for the kingdom. It's for God. It's for, you know, and, um, and, and I, this, this, while we were away at this counseling thing, um, I was talking to my counselor about this idea of ambition. And I'm sure we have people listening that are going, but I'm an ambitious person. Like, I like to be busy. I like to accomplish things. And he looked at me and he said, Davey, there's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, In fact, the kingdom, this world needs ambitious people who love Jesus. Yes. But but, But it needs them to be healthy. That's right. 
It needs them to be healthy. And and in fact, just to make this note, this is an extremely privileged conversation that we're able to have, mm. that we talk about being able to self-care. Yeah. Um, and but but I know the temptation for some might be um well, that must be nice that y'all can care for yourselves, you know, right. um, because there are people, there are mamas working, you know, three jobs to mm. take care of their kids and they don't have the, and I, and I just want to say to that, that it's so true. Like that is mm. so true. Mm. But the pro the problem is not that, that the rich and the wealthy get sabbatical or get rest. The problem is that the poor don't. Wow. And so don't we need uh, to take seriously our marginal space so that we can show up in ways and come up with some solutions and partner and link arms with wow. um, people in positions different from ours, um, allow ourselves to be served by them, serve in return. Mm. This is the, I mean, we are living together in Christ's kingdom, yeah. David Fitch talks about, and we bring the world along. Yeah, that's so And good. what does that look like for us to do this together? Because it is, I never want to get caught up in like uh, anyone to think that this is, you know, this is a, this doesn't, a, this doesn't apply to other people um, because they're not in a privileged position. Like right. it's like, no, this has to apply. This is a human conversation right. that I feel it's so imperative that we all find ways to make this true for everyone. Right, right. Well, it's how we were created. I mean, we were created yes. with the idea of rest, you know? Um, I mean, the very first day of Adam and Eve's job was the seventh day. Sabbath, <laughs> you know, he created him on the sixth day and then he's like, okay, here's your first day of living. It's rest. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And you stop. And just stop. And then, you know, it's like, but that's how we're supposed, that's how we were created in order to yeah. operate in this flow. And you're right. Everybody, no matter, no matter what socioeconomic status, everybody needs to um, have the ability to uh, enjoy that rest to enjoy yes. that space, uh, to become the, the version that God created and intended them to, to be. I, I'm so fascinated on this, what you said a little bit earlier about this idea of like kind of knowing like your soul being in this, this space of hustle and kind of having the self-awareness to know, wait a minute, I, okay, not only am I busy on the outside externally, not only is my calendar and my, you know, everything reflecting that, but my soul is in this state of hustle. How do I, yeah. how do I know that? Because you also alluded to the fact that you can be fairly busy and high impact, um, but not feel the hustle inside of your soul. So how do I differentiate those two? I think, again, that is one of those things that if you give yourself five minutes of stillness, you'll know. Mm. You can feel the low-grade hum of anxiety beneath the surface mm. when hurry has taken over. Um, my husband says, which by the way, any good thing I say usually comes from him. Um, <laughs> but he says that when you hold on to the wrong things, the wrong things hold on to you. And I know when I'm holding on to my, because see on the strengths finder, you know, the strengths yeah. finder test oh, yeah. that you can like work from your strengths, right. which is like, sometimes I question like, is that, that's so counter to the gospel. Like Jesus is like, my strength <laughs> right. is perfect in your weakness, but it's fine. I took the test. Guess what my number one is? Achiever. Really? It's the worst. <laughs> yes. It's the little or worst. And uh, my second one is like strategy. Oh. I mean, I'm basically like a mastermind workaholic. Yeah, I don't are. know. <laughs> you strategize about how you can achieve more and you achieve to strategize more. <laughs> That's exactly. It's this endless cycle. <laughs> right. So I say this from a place of, from a posture of wanting to learn, 
what this looks like, but I know from experience and, and, and listen, that is why, and I'm not trying to be meta about this thing, about the next right thing, but the reason why this message is so important to me is because it, it's saving my life. Mm. Like I have more to do right now, literally ever than I've ever had to do in my whole life. When I look at my calendar, I'm in grad school, I have a book coming out, Mm. I host a podcast, you know, all the things. We all have so much going on right now in our lives. It's just the way it is. Um, And sometimes more than others. And that's one of those times for me. But the gift of the, the posture of just doing the next right thing, it gives me permission to just be here and we're having a conversation because this is my next right thing. Wow. And when we get off, I'll have another thing. But it's like you said earlier, it really can be that simple. Um, and then before you know it, it, I actually am able to get more done. I don't know. It's a loaves and fishes situation here. <laughs> because oh. I'm able to get more done because I'm not code switching. I'm not task switching between worrying all about all the things at once, yeah. which I think we often do. That's what causes decision fatigue in many ways is because there's just too many decisions. Right. Um but to keep it just be one decision. And that's what the next right thing does is it it just forces you to make one decision yeah. at a time. Yeah. It it really kind of brings into light the simplicity of Jesus' message when he was like, do not worry about tomorrow. Right. That has always driven me crazy. I'm like, okay, Jesus is keto. I mean, there's books and books and books in the self-help section that are, you know, place, put together around this idea of how to, you know, keep stress down and how to be more productive in Jesus's messages. Yeah, don't worry. Right. <laughs> You're like, thanks, right. Bob Marley. I appreciate that. <laughs> right. Super helpful. Yeah. Although, you know, I mean, he said he didn't necessarily say don't don't think about tomorrow. Mm. He just said don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Which could be different. You know, we can plan and anticipate, but just don't let it take over. Yeah. So what do you do if like, you know, you come across a decision? I mean, does this change at all if it's a lot more complex of a decision than just like a Yes or no, kind of. I mean, like, there's layers of complexity in a lot of the decisions that we're yes. facing. How do you approach that? Does it change the approach? Change at all? You know, I think it could, but I do think it's still the process of putting in English what is the decision, because mm-hmm. those layers of complexity often are um, are like offshoots of how we feel about it yeah. and ex- people's expectations and our past experience. And so if you can tease out, I think it still is helpful um, to tease out what the actual decision is, um, clear the clutter a bit, mm. give yourself permission to be alone, um, and then ask yourself and and to try to get to uh, just kind of, I don't know, I think of it as poking awake the different, you know, intuition, yeah. the heart, the head. I like to ask myself a few questions sometimes. And and if I'm talking with someone else and they're asking me advice, man, I have just started to learn not to answer those and just to ask questions, mm. you know, like, I feel like Jesus was like the master yeah, question was. asker. It's <laughs> constantly and probably drove people nuts. Like just <laughs> say words. Um, but just asking myself, uh, how do I feel? Like when I think about this complex decision, even if it's layered, maybe it's multiple decisions and one thing is going to cause the next thing to happen. Mm-hmm. If I do this, then it's, you know, it's like choose your own adventure. <laughs> How do I feel? Like what? A, and and let yourself feel ways that might feel weird. Like I sense the color yellow when I think of this mm-hmm. decision. Or I like go weird about it and let yourself stay in that feeling space. And then period. Next question. Go to ask yourself, what do I know? Mm-hmm. And this will interact the head. And this is where you get to write down every fact 
every single thing you know, you can write down when the decision is due, what the, you know, uh, who you know, who you could talk to, to get more information, a website you could Google. This is information, 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 write it down. And then third, you can ask yourself, um, if I had to decide right now, what would I do? Mm. And it doesn't mean you have to decide right now. Clearly, you, you probably don't if you're having time to ask yourself all right. these questions. But but to sort of get in touch with your natural knowing, with that sort of, not a knee-jerk thing, but but a, uh, a sense of, okay, give myself permission for these few minutes while I'm asking myself these questions to stay in this gut intuitive space and see if I can find an answer in the presence of God. Yeah. With what, maybe I know what to do, but there's some other things that are clouding my ability to discern what that yeah, might be. That's really good. That's so good. Um, you talked a little bit about your, you know, obviously you, the every 90 days you're, you're, you know, is it a whole, like, what is it, a weekend, a whole week of reflection? What, how long does that reflection period? I wish, man, I wish. A day, It's an usually. <laughs> Yes. It's usually just there's an awareness that it's coming up and I'll make a list, you know, of things. I just, it's almost just like a mindset Uh, that I start to reflect back. And then, but I do have, I do write things down um, for sure. And, um, and I even in a fun way, I share some of those things on my website. Like I'll, I'll have a blog yeah. that, that I have people also, they can share some things they've learned. Usually those though are the things that are sillier. They're not more deeply yeah. reflective, but they're a little like, I learned that if you press hold on an Instagram story, then it pauses it, you know, like silly things, <laughs> but it's, and we'll share that stuff together. So that's like the surfacey level of reflecting right. because it's just getting people in the door right. of practicing, looking back, looking at your life, finding fun things that you've discovered. But then on a deeper level, what's resonating? How are you changing? What are you loving? What are you not loving? Yeah. Those kind of things. Are there any other periods of rhythm that you do that? Is it, I mean, is there uh, any other any other tips like that? I love that every three months, you know, having yeah. that kind of in the back of your mind doing that. But what about some of yes. the other rhythms of your flow, like throughout your day to just go, okay, you know, let's say I'm a busy mom and I'm like yeah. going around, you know, cleaning the house, doing the laundry, cooking, homeschooling the kids, trying to get the kids to, you know, soccer practice, like all of these things. What are some, maybe some ways that you can practice that like soul minimalist activity in the midst of all that activity? I'm a big believer in designing a rhythm of life. St. Benedict had a rule of life and it was all, and he was a monk back in the way, way long time ago. Um, And and his was about, you know, how to live in community um, with God in mind. Mm -hmm. And but I think we can learn so much from from his rule um, by establishing our own and and doing that um, with remembering and it's seasonal because a rhythm of life you write in pencil you don't <laughs> yeah. you don't write it in pen because yeah. it's not going to be the same a year from now um, even a month from now maybe even next week it'll be different but I think there are some principles that can that we can fill in um, which by the way I have a class I'm giving away that does this That's like great. that helps people design their own rhythm of life. Um, but but two things, I think, like you said, if you're a busy mom, um, two things that can be, I think of it almost like, what are some fixed points in my day? If you think of, I mean, the call to prayer, right. you know, they would ding, they would dong, you know, right. there'd be a bell that would ring or whatever. They would hit whatever they could find, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to bring people to mind. We can do that in our own lives. You can set a timer on your iPhone right. to remind yourself, you know, like, oh, it's 12 o'clock. I'm going to whatever. But But two things that help me are one is having a simple morning routine. And then a simple evening routine 
And that can be, I mean, when I say simple, I mean, my friend Kendra Adachi has a, has a podcast called the Lazy Genius Podcast. And she teaches <laughs> people how to be um, genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. Oh, that's great. Which is so good. Yep. So she, if you're, if you're a busy mom, you need to listen to her podcast. <laughs> but she talks about doing one thing every day that makes you feel like a person. Mm. And that can be part of your morning routine. It could just be listening to your favorite song. And I'm going to listen to the song every day this week. I'm going to light a candle. I'm going to wash my face. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to, I mean, I tend to um, pray scripture. That's one of my favorite ways yeah. of praying lately. I, I'm finding that I, I need to borrow some prayers for a while mm. that have been written by others or scripture that's, you know, um, God's word. And so I pray Psalm 23 several times every day, yeah. um, just as a reminder. And let me tell you, it gets richer and richer each time. And it's it's just like, it's it's the same words, but the spirit makes it alive. And so that those are just some things that you can maybe inter integrate into your own rhythm wow. of life that can be helpful. Wow. This has been so helpful. Okay. I have one more question because okay. we have kids, a four and a five-year-old. So I know that you have three kids, two of them, twins. And um, <laughs> I don't, how old were they again? But the girls are, the twins are 15. Okay. So they're now older. So you've kind of gone through some of the phases of life here. Yeah. How do I help my kids kind of grasp hold of this concept and make good decisions? How, how do we train them in this process as well? What a great question. Well, as far as parenting goes, I'm always afraid to talk about parenting because... <laughs> Verdict's still out for all of us, isn't it? <laughs> right, I know. Ask me in 40 years. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe we'll get you back on the podcast in 30 years or so. Right, we'll... <laughs> right. It's true. But I do think they're just as far as establishing some really dependable rhythms, especially when they're little... Um, can be such a grounding practice for them, yeah. for them to get used to having certain things we do every day. Kids love routine, yeah, you know, they and they thrive. They do well with it. Mm -hmm. um, and they, it, it can make them feel, I think having routines and rhythms, that just gives us a nice launching pad to make smart, healthy decisions. Not because there's something magical in it, just because we make better decisions when we're well-rested right. and when we're connected with our families. And so one thing we used to do when our kids were little, we do it kind of now, but it's, it looks different, but we called it top of the stairs. And every night before everybody was spur go to their own bedrooms, we would, um, all gather as a family at the top of the stairs and we would talk about our favorite part of the day. Oh, what was your favorite part of the awesome. day? What was your favorite part? And everybody would say one. Um, and then that would be, you know, our nighttime routine mm -hmm. or our rhythm of life mm -hmm. when they were little. Um, now that their teenagers listen, the top of the <laughs> stairs basically happens like in each of their rooms for like 40 minutes because, that's when teenagers like to talk yep. is 1030 at night. Yep. It is the actual worst, but I'm trying to remember to hold it as a gift yeah. and to be glad they want to talk to us. That's so great. That's so great. <laughs> I heard somebody once say that talk to your kids when they can't talk because one day they won't. That's so And true. to the degree that you talk to your kids when they can't talk, they'll talk to you when they don't want to. You know? And then you get to listen. And you get to listen. Yes. That's it's so weird how it switches. <laughs> I love that. Though that you're, you know, it sounds like you're living a testimony of, you know, you were intentional about creating those rhythms for them early. And now they're having those 40, 45 hour long <laughs> conversations with you. At Not night. every night, but <laughs> there are times. <laughs> I love that. It's so great. Emily, thanks so much for being willing to jump on and share with us. This is so helpful. I think this is going to really help contribute to some good rhythms of life for many of us. I've got so many notes logged away. Um, right here in my head. I'm going to have to go put them down since we've been on conversation. But I know Christy's sitting over here next to me. She's typing notes and in our audio engineer, we're like, this is amazing. It's good stuff. So I definitely want to make sure. Now the book, the next right thing, 
right? When is this release? Right. And, and how else can we also, how can we find you? How can we find out more of what you're doing and, and follow you? Uh, it releases April 2nd. All right. So I don't know when this is live right now. I don't know what when that will be. Um, Off the top of my head, I don't know either, but it'll be right around that time too. So Right around that time. Okay. Well, I say that because we are, I mean, we're giving away the audiobook with yeah, pre-orders. Great. We're giving away this class called Discern and Decide, which is a hands-on companion to... Um, to designing your own rhythm of life. And so all that can be found as well as, of course, the book at nextrightthingbook.com. And then, of course, the Next Right Thing podcast I release weekly, awesome. which is very short. It's like 10-minute episodes on Tuesdays. Um, yeah, that's so, so that's, great. that's me. Very helpful. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Emily. We really appreciate you having, having you. I've loved it. Thank you. Wow. I'm sold. Minimalism. Here we come. It's the life for me. <laughs> it is the life. It is the life. We, um, we learned a lot on the three-week ministry retreat that we were on about just pace of life and margin and space. And I'm telling you, I think this is the message that God's just like beating into me right now. And, um, uh, and awesome. so anytime you hear the repetition over and over and over and over, if, if you feel like the theme is coming up over and over and over in your life, it's probably the Lord. He's probably, you know, if you're diligently seeking him, he's probably going, hello, you need this <laughs> lesson repeated until lesson learned, you know? Yes, exactly. So I'm going to have to make some application and not schedule things back to back to back to back anymore. Yeah, you're going to need some uh, some margin in there with this new season for sure. And we want to thank Ryan O'Neill at Sleeping at Last. Thank you for providing music for Nothing is Wasted Ministries. You're going to want to check out all of his work there. Everything is just so good. I love it. I just listened to the Enneagram 8 song. Mm. Um, and here is a little sneak peek into next week's episode. When my father passed away, um, you know, he was like our hero and everything. And just, we just couldn't take it. And I remember asking my mom, mom, promise me that you will never die, that you will never leave us. And she said, um, you know, they taught us uh, so many things at an early age that would stay with us for the rest of our lives. And like my mom's always told us to be honest and to tell the truth and everything. So when I asked her, promise me that you're never going to die, she said, no, I am going to die. We're all going to die. I don't know when, but I'm going to die. So that was like, why is she telling me this? And four years later, and I said, oh, well, she told me the truth. She passed away. So at that time, I thought, okay, God, so this is what life's about. Mm. You take my father, then you take my mother. So you're going to take everyone that I care for. Mm. I thought, you know, I, I was living for a long time um, with that uh, fear that everyone around me was going to die. Mm. And I kept watching my sisters. Okay, when is she going to die? When is she going to die? Mm. And it was this, um, just this feeling that I was going to be left alone. Mm. 